afternoon, PT family. Praise the Lord. God is good. I'm glad to be in the house of God, and I hope that you're enjoying God's presence in your own home. Let me introduce myself. My name is Albert Penho. I'm a member of uh, Pentecostal Tabernacle. And uh, today I'd like to continue the journey that PT has been on this year uh, with the topic of biblical justice. And my assignment today from Pastor Brian is to talk to you about economic biblical justice or, biblical, or economic justice from a biblical perspective. Um, my goal today is to present God's perspective on economic justice as I understand it from my study of the scriptures. My emphasis today will be on our individual responsibilities before God, our, our own individual efforts as we seek to please God in our service to him, in our endeavor to see his plan fulfilled for our lives. And my hope is to inspire you to look at this topic in a new way. Um, when Pastor Brian gave me this assignment, he encouraged me to use my background uh, both as a first-generation immigrant and as a professional in the finance industry. So I want to talk to you a few moments about both of those. Uh, I was born and raised in Portugal, which back in the late 50s and early 60s was a poor, small country in Western Europe. Uh, my family immigrated to this country when I was nine years old in 1966. Um, later, so that's the background of my immigrant uh, origins. And later on, I became uh, a banker, and I've been a banker now for about 40 years. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about my life as a young boy learning a language in a new country, learning the culture. I was a young man, grew up as an outside observer in the structures and the culture and the language of America. Um, I was living in America, but I was really like an outsider. I was not a native son. Yeah, I was more like an anthropologist living among the native people of a certain country, uh, living with them while I observed them. Um, and so I, I became an observant. I was always an outsider. Uh, my first year in this country, my family lived in a little town in the middle of Connecticut out in the country, and my family was the only immigrant family in the town, so I was um, conspicuous in school in my first year as a fourth grader. I was the only one that didn't speak English. I couldn't speak English for a while, and so I was always a bit of an outsider, and that sense of an outside observant uh, has stayed with me. And as I grew up, I learned the language and I devoured, as an outside student, I devoured everything America. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I got into the binge of reading just about every biography I could get my hands on of famous Americans. So I learned about Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy and um, Douglas Fairbanks and Martin Luther King and many others. I just devoured uh, Americana as an outsider. And then I went off to college. And so that began the more formal and the more structured study of American culture and, and the American ways. Uh, 
Um, so I decided, given my interest, I decided to major in economics with a minor in political science. So I wanted to know how this system in America worked. I want to know how the economy worked, how people made money, how people got jobs, how people built wealth. And I wanted, and that was economics, and I wanted to understand the politics, the, 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 the way that civic society in America worked. So I was in the midst of, or in the beginnings of a, a formal instruction in uh, these, uh, these systems in America. And it was at that time, around when I turned 20, that I also discovered a whole different thing. I got saved. I heard about Jesus. And that was such a different world from the world that I had been studying for the prior 10 years or so. When I got saved, yeah, even today, it, it touches me. Pastor uh, Elder Roy was talking about, what do you remember about getting saved? It's always there in front of me. What I remember was how marvelous the ways of God were in comparison to the ways that I had been studying in the world. It was so marvelous to me. It's like, it's like my mouth was open with awe at the ways of God being so different from the ways of the world. Excuse me. Uh, here, here's some of the things that, that were so marvelous to me. The ways of grace versus the struggles that I had been doing, the struggles of man. The ways of grace versus the struggles of man. The divine offer of love unearned versus the striving for acceptance and worthiness. Uh, living a life of assurance and peace versus the daily struggle for success and advancement. Uh, a life surrendered to God's higher purpose versus a search for meaning to a life centered on myself. So I, I've never lost that wonder and that amazement. Because as a young man in my teenage years, I was played with a fear that, and I was very ambitious, and I had a life plan, and I was following that plan. But there was something that plagued me as I was pursuing the plan, which is, you know, one day I'm going to turn... 35, I thought that would have been the age. I'm going to turn 35, and I'm going to look back at my life, and I have attained everything that I wanted, and yet I'm empty, and I'm without purpose. And that really plagued me, and the Lord used that to bring me to Christ. It wasn't until later in life that I ran across scriptures. After I got saved, I ran across scriptures that explained to me this wonder and amazement that I had when I first got saved. And this is in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I had no problem accepting that into my heart. I loved that. I loved the fact that God's ways were so much higher than my ways as much as I had studied them and was intrigued by them as an outsider. 
when I came to the ways of Christ, they were so much more glorious and so much more fantastic. I was amazed. So I bought into it. I bought into the ways of God. I bought into a different life. Uh, and today, 45 years later, or 50 years later, however, I'm, I still am in marvel and wonderment and amazement at the glory and the majesty and the grace of this thing that God offers me uh, to be his child. Offers every one of us, every member of the human family, this offer that he gives, that he gives, and it's such a, a different offer than the offer that I had studied earlier on in my life. Uh, sometimes I struggle to explain this amazement that I have still about the ways of God being so different from the ways of the world. And to try to explain this wonder that I live with, I thought of using uh, an analogy to maybe give us all a different angle to look at it. The analogy, uh, it, it was something that Jesus often used when he was trying to explain spiritual things by natural. And, you know, he used, um, he used the sower, uh, parables like the sower of the seed, the unjust judge, the lost coins, the city set on a hill. These were natural things that the Lord used to try to explain some spiritual concepts. Now, I'd like to do the same thing today. I'd like to use an analogy to try to explain at least my amazement between the things of God and the things of this world. And I'd like to use um, something out of science fiction. Um, I kind of... Uh, I'm a sometime fan of science fiction. I don't mean the Godzilla versus King Kong. And I don't mean, you know, the lizard that gobbled up Manhattan. I don't, I'm not thinking of those kind of science fictions. I'm thinking of uh, a science fiction where, you know, we're introduced to a different universe, to a different existence. Uh, think of, think of uh, another reality out there, and there's a big bed sheet that separates our reality from that reality. And every once in a while, there's a tear in that bed sheet. Somebody pulls that tear apart and walks to the other side, and they look at it in amazement and wonderment, wow, this was always here, and I didn't know that it was there. It's so beautiful. It's so different. So I'd like to use the analogy of a parallel universe to describe some of the things of God that are so different from the things of the world. Um, I've always been intrigued by it, and uh, I, I, I like some of those crazy science fictions. They, they require that you suspend your disbelief, that you put aside the laws of physics, the laws of nature, human nature. They ask you to put those aside and think about things differently. What's the point of all that? Well, the point is that when you come back from that universe into this universe, you have a greater understanding, a deeper, uh, a deeper appreciation for this universe that we live in um, than we had before. Sometimes, uh, again, like I said, sometimes that peak is made possible because there's a, a tear or a, an opening in between. You know, sometimes they call it a black hole. Sometimes they talk about you know, uh, traveling in space and time, whatever the invention is, usually a, a fake invention, but just a, a way to get us to the, other, to the other side. Many times, this experience is facilitated by someone special, 
someone who's given the privilege of going to the other side and back. Or maybe it's not a special person, it's a special circumstance. It just so happened that things got messed up for a moment and people were able to go over there and come back and then that circumstance passes and they can't do it anymore. But whatever the case, people come back with a different understanding, with a deeper understanding. Uh, I think such a person was the Apostle Paul. He wrote about it. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, it's not expedient for me to doubtless to glory, but I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows that. But such a one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, again, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So think of this as Paul having been given the privilege to see a different universe. It was always there. Most of us don't see it. He was given a special dispensation to go into that universe, and it was so marvelous to him. I mean, I marveled at the understanding that I got, but imagine Paul going up into the third heaven and experiencing things that cannot be explained with a human language. Now, when Paul returned from that parallel universe, he had a new understanding of, rea of reality that he didn't have before, and this is how he wrote about it. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them which are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, aid the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man that is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now we, now we, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. Now, back to this universe. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yea, he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So from these words, we can see that Paul uh, received a revelation, 
a spiritual understanding. And by my reading of it, that spiritual understanding is for us also. We have received the Spirit of God. We who have been born again, we who have called on, on God the Father and who has given us a new life, who has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have the Holy Spirit abiding within us. And through the Holy Spirit, we are ushered into revelations of things that the natural eye cannot comprehend. It's not that it doesn't want to. The natural man cannot comprehend that other universe, that parallel universe. Paul wanted us to have this wisdom, a reality and understand that's beyond our present world, beyond what we can experience with our natural senses, but which God wants to reveal to us, as he did to Paul. This universe cannot be seen by natural men. It must be revealed by the Spirit of God. And Paul wrote about it. If you would go to Colossians chapter 3, the first two verses of Colossians, he says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. He also wrote about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, And be not conformed to this world. Don't be contained by the perspectives of this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, back to our topic. What does, what does this all have to do with biblical justice or with biblical economic justice? What does it matter if there's a, a parallel universe? Does it have any impact on us? What relevance is it to me that Paul speaks of a wisdom that the world cannot comprehend? We as Christians, we're believers. We're not just observers, we believe. We believe in things we don't see with our natural eyesight. We live in this world and we interact with it as we live our natural lives. But we also know in our hearts that there's another universe greater and more real than the one that we perceive with our natural senses. And we know that it is in that universe where we really belong. We're just passing through. We're just pilgrims here. In that sense, we're all just temporary immigrants on this earth. This is not our citizenship. So we want to be conscious. We never want to forget our true eventual home. Uh, we don't call that home a parallel universe. You know, we're doing it a little bit this morning, but we don't really call it a parallel universe. We call it the kingdom of God. We call it the supernatural. We call it the eternal. For us, it's not science fiction at all. It's not fiction. It's not science fiction. It's the way and it's the truth. So as believers, let's consider economic justice from the perspective of the scriptures. Yes, we do live in this world, in this universe, but we must know that there is a different universe with different rules, a different reality, and different values. 
Let me give you an example from the scriptures. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 16 through 21. And Jesus spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground, now we're getting into economics here, what I studied in college. The ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. So he had such a bumper crop that his barns weren't large enough for the, for the bounty. So he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater. And there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. Sounds good so far. But then it goes on in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that laid up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So remember that phrase, not rich toward God. In my, my secular universe, as a banker and as a lender, I deal almost daily with the perspective that this man had. Normally, in my profession, maybe in your thoughts, uh, normally we'd call this man a smart man, a successful investor, a, an entrepreneur. Hey, he's got a thriving business. He's going to invest in it, and he's going to make it grow. So we'd call him smart. His business was prospering. He was developing a business, and he wanted it to continue. But Jesus didn't call him a smart investor. Jesus called him a fool. Now, we use that word very lightly, but it's clear from the scriptures that the word fool is a really heavy thing that you don't want to use lightly. So when Jesus called him a fool, it was a very serious thing. Now, he was a fool not because he was successful. He was a fool not because he was rich. He was a fool because he was not rich toward God. He wasn't aware of a different universe that also needed an investment. He was aware of investments for this life, but he totally neglected the need to invest in the other universe. And you know, it's an easy trap for all of us. It's an easy trap for each of us to fall into. So I don't, I don't necessarily fault this man. I take this as a, a cautionary story to instruct my heart and my soul. Uh, when I was a young banker many years ago when I was younger, um, early on in my career, I received a really big bonus, a, a really large bonus. Uh, and all of a sudden, I had a salary that was on another level. In a, a salary that could take care of my needs for, my, for myself and my family and a little cushion left over. And it was, it was different than what I had done before. I didn't have to struggle for my daily bread anymore. I began to think like that rich man. It's natural. Unless we do something about it, we're going to be like the rich man. So don't, don't condemn him until you examine your own heart. So I began to think like this. I wasn't rich, but I began to think like him. 
when the race came, there was a, a strange new temptation that wanted, wanted to enter into my mind and into my heart. The temptation was twofold. I could get proud of what I accomplished, and I could put my trust in that big salary. I was, I was tempted to start thinking like this man in Jesus' parable. I wasn't rich, but I was thinking like a rich man. The Bible says that with every temptation that God allows, God also gives us a way of escape. And God did that for me with that temptation. It was a real temptation. Um, he gave me an escape by, first of all, identifying and highlighting those temptations that were wanting to enter into my heart. And he dropped a thought into my heart that allowed me to escape the temptation. After prayerfully considering it with my wife, we decided, we resolved that we were going to take a significant portion of that raise and give it to another family who was needy and to do it regularly with every paycheck. And that was God's defense for my heart. And that was God instructing me. I didn't know it back then, but that God was instructing me, be rich toward heaven. Don't just think about life on this earth, but be rich toward heaven. So we have the perspective of this rich man. Here's a different perspective from a different passage. This is in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. You know this passage. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all shall be measured to you again. So the rich man got a whole bunch of stuff. Let me tear down my barn so I can put more into a bigger barn. Mine. Let me accumulate. And when I've got enough accumulated, let me just take my rest. Let me drink, party, and be at ease. And be, uh, be oblivious to anything else. Oblivious to this parallel universe that we should all be aware of. But Jesus says, no, you want to be rich toward heaven. You've got plenty, why don't you share it? Why don't you give it? And not only will you be rich toward heaven, but Jesus promises us in this passage that he will be rich toward us on this earth. As we give the measure that we use to give out, the Lord will use that measure and more to give back so that I have more abundantly than I had before. And I'm sure that we can think of uh, a person in our lives, someone that exemplified that, who was a blessing maybe to you or to someone in your family who had an ability, a grace, a gift, a faith to give. Here's another passage from the other universe. This is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, the words of Jesus. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek after. But we're more than Gentiles. We were Gentiles. The Gentiles seek for this, and we sought for this before we got saved. We still need it, but God knows. But brothers and sisters, we're more than Gentiles. We're children of God. We know there's this other universe that we really belong to. We're here temporarily alone only. Verse 32, for your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things, but seek ye first 
the things of God in his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto this day is the evil thereof. Jesus taught us to cast our plans on him, to trust him for our needs, the needs of this life, but also the needs of the life in the next universe. That's the being rich toward God piece. Now, as a lender, I have a specific exhortation from the scriptures. It's in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. He that hath pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. So as a lender, I have to make decisions about whether I'm going to get repaid. It's not my money. I have to, I have to be conscious, uh, conscious of the fact that I'm lending somebody else's money. And when that money is lent out, I have to be sure that it gets paid back. Now, I don't have to worry about lending to God. God's going to pay it back. So the scripture tells me that when I give to the poor... God will lend it back. It's like lending to God and he will give it back to me. He'll pay me back. I don't have to call the hook to repossess the car or foreclose on the house. God's going to pay me. Now this leads me to another fundamental difference between the economies of the two universes. And that difference is the currencies of these two economies, the currencies of these two universes. Um, Let's talk about currencies. What's the currency in the U.S. economy? Yeah, it's a dollar. Not, not a trick question, as Pastor, Daly, Pastor Brian would say. It's not a trick question. The U.S. dollar is the currency of our economy. It's what makes the economy run, what, what lubricates the millions and millions of transactions that happen every day. Uh, you need a pair of shoes. I grab a piece of leather, and I take my hands, and I mold a pair of shoes and I give you the pair of shoes, you give me a dollar. I take that dollar and I go to the farmer and I buy a pound of potatoes from him. So I have food for my family because of this interchange of the dollar. The farmer takes that dollar and he pays the utility company so he has electricity for his home. So the dollar lubricates our economy. It's what makes things happen. Uh, in other parts of the world, we have different currencies, but they serve the same purpose. In Europe, they have the euro. In Japan, they have the yen. Um, other countries, they may have the peso or the pound or the lira, but they, they have different names, but they serve the same purposes. They make things happen. Now, let me ask you, what's the currency in God's economy? What's the currency that makes things happen in God's economy? I would recommend to you that the economy of God runs on faith. Faith is what makes things happen. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is in that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As believers, as followers of Christ, our deepest passion is to please our Father. It's in our DNA. When we got saved, the Lord changed our DNA so that we now seek to please him with the idea that one day we'll go up to heaven 
and we will yearn to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's our reward. And so the way to please God is to exercise our faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. All that we do, if it's going to please God, it's going to have to be done with faith towards God. We can be very busy doing things for God. But are we pleasing God if we don't do it in faith toward him? We always want to make sure that what we do, we do in faith. It pleases God and it makes things happen. So we do things in this universe, but we do it with an eye toward the other universe, toward our Heavenly Father with faith. So, you know, we might, we might be poor in this universe, but if we have faith toward God, we're rich in his eyes. It says in James chapter 2, verse 5, Hearken, my, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? in heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him. So the riches of this life, they don't matter that much to God. What matters to God is our faith. And our faith is what makes us wealthy in heaven. So how do we put all this in practice? How do we live out these concepts that we just talked about? You know, the crazy notion about a parallel universe. How do we put this to practice? How do we become rich toward God, rich toward heaven? Let me give you some practical examples. These are just a few. And I know I'm not covering many, many other topics that I could talk about with respect to economic justice from a biblical perspective. I'm just talking about one little narrow piece of it, which is our individual responsibilities. So some suggestions I'm going to get down into your business. Did you get a stimulus check? It was welcome, wasn't it? Do you really need it? If you really need it, thank God. Thank God. Use it. Pay the bills. Put bread on the table. Put shoes on your, on your feet. Thank God if you got it. If you need it, praise the Lord. Is there room in your earthly budget from that stimulus check for a heavenly investment? Is there a little room there? You need it. Do you need it all? Is there a place to be rich toward God with some very natural riches? Is there someone you know who could use some help financially? Are you willing to live a little less comfortably so that your brother can have a, his basic, basic needs met while you make an investment in heaven? Now, there's all kinds of talk about people who got stimulus funds who didn't need it, and they did uh, all kinds of investing. You know, there are all these day traders, people playing. It's like play money for some people. Some of it got wasted. Some of it got invested. Some of it got saved. Is there room for a heavenly investment with that $1,400? Okay, that's one example. Here's another suggestion. Uh, do you submit your spending plans to the review of the Holy Spirit? People talk about budgets. Besides Excel, is there 
the Holy Spirit helping you with Excel? As you, as you save for a house or for retirement, are you remembering to be rich toward God? That's the ultimate retirement. That's the ultimate house. Are you making provision for that too? Are you accumulating a treasure in heaven with the treasures that you have on the earth? You know, you know that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are you mindful of the other universe when, when you make a monetary decision? So I want to close with this passage in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, that gives us a real, a real pronounced stark contrast between the two universes that we've talked about today. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And when he was gone forth in the way, there came a, a man running to him and kneeled at, to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I always thought about this young man. He must have had some consciousness that there was something more to life than the things that he possessed. There's something that motivated him to run toward Jesus. He had a desire for eternal life. He had comforts in this life, but there was something moving him, which is good. It's what God often uses to draw us to himself, some 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 yearning within that goes beyond the natural needs. So he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. I've been towing the line. I've been living the life, but there's still something that I need. Now, I think this next verse is really, you don't want to miss it because it's the center of this story. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Jesus loved him. He loved him when he said what he was about to say. He didn't hate him. He didn't despise him for all that he had, but he loved him. And, he, and Jesus was in touch with the fact that this young man needed something more, and Jesus had the answer for him. So Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was giving him an invitation like no other. He was inviting him to get the fulfillment that motivated him to run toward Jesus and would have given him an eternal name. But we don't know his name. Nobody knows this young man's name. We just call him the rich young ruler. We don't know anything about him except that he was rich and that he turned down Jesus. He, so Jesus gave him a great invitation, but he turned it down he said, and he was sat at the saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He made a choice. He decided on this universe, forget the other universe. 
Jesus looked around about him and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Were there any children there? Not that we know about. These were all Jesus. Most of them were men. I think in this passage they were all men. These were men. These were not children. But Jesus addressed them as children, I think because they had such little understanding of the economy of God, this parallel universe. They weren't aware of it. They were just beginning to think about it because of Jesus' teaching. But they didn't really understand it. So he called them children. In verse 26, they were astonished out of, out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? It's as if they thought, well, if you're rich, obviously you're going to be saved. If you're rich in this life, obviously the door is going to be open to you into the next life. That's why they were children. And I think many times we're children in, 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 in the aspect of that understanding. Jesus looked unto them, verse 27, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter said unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. So Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Peter confessed that he made a decision very different from the decision of the rich young ruler. He left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. And so the, the question that I want to leave with you, which universe is more important to you? The one you see, the one you live in, the one you touch, or the one that you believe in, the one that you aspire to, the one that you confess when you say you're a Christian? Do your actions, do your decisions, do your choices reflect that you have a greater value for the other? So when you do your budget, when you determine what to do with your $1,400 stimulus check or any check, any paycheck, make sure you're rich toward God. Make sure you're conscious of God's economy of that parallel universe. I also want to take a moment to address those who uh, this topic is very new to you, never, never thought of it this way. Uh, you've heard of this Jesus, but you weren't aware of the significance of his life and of his teachings. And more importantly, you never really surrendered your heart to him like he asked you to. Now, Jesus came into this world from another world. He came from heaven. He lived on the earth for about 33 years to do two things. 
Want us to teach us, both by word and by example, how to live a a life that pleases God. But secondly, and more importantly, he came to die a cruel, wicked, gruesome death as punishment for my sins and your sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for anything that he did wrong. He died for the things that you and I have done wrong, for the sins that we've committed. And he did that so that he would pay the penalty that we wouldn't have to pay. So that one day, if we believe in him, we'll have passage into that other universe. It's really very simple what Jesus asked us to do. He asked us to acknowledge that we're sinners, that we don't live according to his ways, that we displease him in our life, and that we repent of our ways and we ask for his ways. He asked us to repent of those ways and to ask forgiveness for those things. Then he asked us to believe that when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to pay. And lastly, he wants us to believe, again, believe in our hearts, that Jesus, after he died, he was resurrected back to life by the power of God and now lives at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven forever. Jesus says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that God has raised them from the dead, we shall be saved. So this is also something different that we're not used to in our natural lives. Is God is not asking us to do something, to make some great work to earn our way to heaven. We cannot earn it. It cannot be earned. It's only a gift that we can receive, and we receive it by faith. So if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be your master and savior, I want to invite you to do that today. Right after the service is done, we're going to have some prayer rooms and somebody would love to connect with you and pray with you. And with you, ask Jesus to come into your heart, live in your life, forgive you of your sins, and make you a child of God. So after the service, if you would just spend a few moments in one of the Zoom rooms that instructions will be given you, as to how to get in contact with us. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email at mail at ptspice.org and someone will respond to you with help to help you continue on in your journey with Christ, provide you with some resources like a Bible and other things that will help you to serve Jesus. So I'd like to close in prayer. Please join with me. And do it in faith. Let us pray in faith. Father, we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for me, who gave me new life, who transformed me or translated me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, who has given me a peek into another universe that's so wonderful. It's so marvelous. It's so glorious, God. So much so that language isn't available the human language to describe. But Lord, I thank you that you've created this parallel universe for me one day to inhabit. I thank you for it. I know I'm just passing through this life in this universe, and one day I'll have eternal life abiding with you forever in heaven. I thank you for that living hope that you give us as children of God. And I pray, God, that while we yet have days on this earth, 
Help us to be conscious, always conscious, to be rich toward God. Lord, not to be taken up with the riches of this world, not to be taken up with accumulating for myself, but Lord, to make a steady, predictable, regular investment in God, an investment in the things of God, an investment in the next universe. Lord, to be rich toward you. God, help, help me that my affections are on things above and not on things of this earth. Help me to have the wisdom of God and not just the wisdom of men. Father, I commit this message to your care. I pray, God, that it will stay in our hearts and instruct us and guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit. For we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you.